Hey guys, Anthony Carvello with you, and we're about to get into this episode. Before you do that, go grab tickets to the New Year's Eve show. We're going to be doing that at the Goodwill, hanging out with DJ Honeycut. We got all the fourth quarter guys in the buildings, tickets on sale right now. And before we get into this episode, just to give you a little background on it, DJ Honeycut's talking about growing up in Brandon, being on the early side of hip-hop and DJ culture, and a whole lot more. Let's get into that episode right now. You can find us at Now You Know on SoundCloud. Let's get it. And if you don't know, now you know. Welcome to the Now You Know podcast. <laughs> I am your host, Anthony Carvello. And it's Clemmy. And it's Feta. And we have a special guest with us today. We got the legendary DJ Honeycutt in the building with us today. Yeah. Yo. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about peanuts and corn and all that because we were talking uh, to G- DJ Bunny. He was one of the uh, first guests that we had on talking about hip-hop history here in the city. And he said we had to talk to you. It was, it was a must. It was an absolute must. Well, that's nice, Bunny, to, uh, to mention us because uh, we we're, were a fan from way back. We had, uh, we had a homie who, uh, who lived in Winnipeg. We didn't live in Winnipeg. We lived in Brandon. So we had a homie who would... Who would uh, videotape episodes of of the spotlight and uh bootleg on brandon yeah exactly we would watch them we would be in awe we would think it was kind of corny but at the same time we recognized that it was like the realness and you know there was dudes like dj swift on there who was one of the first dudes i saw who was really scratching and doing you know could really kill it and so uh yeah we recognized that it was dope and we recognized and i'm i'm happy to call bunny a, a homie now since moving to winnipeg and knowing him over the years if you do hip hop in the city, you come across Bunny Wayne in way one shape or form. You yeah, know for I mean? real. Whether you saw him at a show or he's throwing the show that you're performing in, whatever it is. Yo, he's when there. I was listening to that podcast, I think I was talking to Anthony on the phone, like on speakerphone, because I never drive talking on the phone. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was funny we were talking about it, and he was like, "Yo, what do you what did you think of the what did you think of the podcast?" And I was like, oh, it was dope. And then I literally looked to my right, and Bunny was driving, I'm pretty sure, with his daughter. And I was like, That's I'm crazy. trying to wave him down. <laughs> and he's just like, I was listening like, to you right now. I'm listening to you right this second. It was crazy, man. Yeah, Bunny's, Bunny's the You man. come highly recommended. Yeah. Shit, that's nice to know. <laughs> Painting the picture. So growing up in Brandon. Yeah, well, yeah we all grew up in Brandon. <laughs> Starting it from the, from the top in Brandon. Um the scene in Brandon, growing up, you have a couple older siblings with you as well? Yeah, that- yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I grew up in Brandon with a much older brother and older sisters. So, I mean, that's that's they were sort of my influencers in terms of music. My brother put me on to Zep- Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and Black Sabbath and all that hard rock stuff. And then my sister was more putting me on to stuff like Elton John and Billy Joel and shit like that. Keeping you dancing. Yeah, you know, it was just, just, you know, as a kid, you didn't, you didn't know, you just looked up to your older brother and sister, but it wasn't, so it wasn't until like, I don't know, junior high until I sort of, sort of started finding my own flavor, so. And your own flavor, what was your own flavor? Like, what was the first music that was yours? Uh, I would say I was, I would say, like, music from skateboard videos, I was a skateboarder, and like, you know, being a skateboarder and Brandon, like, is being a skateboarder in the mid late '80s was not like it does now. Like, you weren't, you weren't, you weren't, you weren't cool. Like skateboarders nowadays, I look at them and they're like, you know, 
girls like them and you know want to date them and want to hang out but that was not like what it was like <laughs> that was not <laughs> you know, we my were freaks. life <laughs> we were freaks and we dressed like freaks and we looked like we were treated like freaks and it was just uh you know that's that was the lifestyle and so um there was very few of us like Brandon. Brandon, you know, was and still is not a cool place to uh, to to live. Like it's a cultureless void, and uh, it's not not a, not a cool place. So I mean, anybody who's doing anything cool in Brandon now or then, I have to give respect to because it's not a it's it's not easy. It's 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 a it's a it my, the analogy I use is is, is that it's it's like pushing. A ball of shit up a shit mountain. <laughs> and it gets sticky. Damn. Yeah. It gets real stinky. Yeah. <laughs> so anybody who's doing anything cool there, there now or did anything cool over the years, I got to give respect to because it's, you know, anyone who's, who, 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 who um, can be themselves and, and, you know, live their lives not, you know, not working at Montana's and I don't know what I don't even know what you do there. It's just like you <laughs> is Montana's, Montana's like though. is Montana. You like Montana's? I don't mind Montana's. I don't. I, I love Montana's. You know they yeah. they got they got the little. What do you the, get at Montana's? The little skillets I don't know. and the skillets uh, and yeah yeah. You know I don't know. They're go, they're great, the, but I mean like you know. <laughs> I don't eat my skillets at uh, Perkins. Yeah, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, uh, when I was a kid there, um, you know, as uh, as. Uh, as the, in, the, you know, as ethnic as it got was like Sue's Chop Suey House. You know what I mean? Like that was, that was exotic, exotic food. No know. matter what city you go to, there's always a Chinese spot though. For it real. doesn't matter which one. You go yeah, right. no, it doesn't and, matter. And yeah. a really good one when I was in, uh, remember that poster we made for that place in Saskatchewan? That was like the spot. The dude was like, oh, you want to go eat? And I was like, yeah, for sure. He's like, do you like Asian food? <laughs> and I was like, I love Asian food. What kind of Asian? And he was like, uh, uh, you know, Asian. Asian. And I was like, oh, okay. So we went there and it was good. It was really good. But yeah, it was like, no, I, didn't we eat there? We went and ate at that chicken delight. And we then that did. dude was trying to hustle us for, they got VLTs in that shit. I'm obsessed with small town journeys actually. Like, you know, uh, where, you know, when, uh, I play, when uh, co-op and I played country fest in Dauphin, I would go and like, eat at both the Chinese food spots in <laughs> There's Dauphin. two of them up in Dauphin? Damn, yeah, country yeah, fest. Yeah, what? there's Hong Kong Cafe and then another spot. They are cultured as fuck. Yeah, and just all that stuff. You know, all across Western Canada, there's, doesn't matter how small the town is, the Paris Cafe in Gladstone or like uh, Rick's in Portugal Prairie. Like, it doesn't matter where, where. It's like everyone's, every small town's got Chinese food spots. You know, it's what it's. You know, I know because I bonafide am a big fan of this small town Chinese. It's because, it's because when the the Chinese slaves who built the railroads, got emancipated, um, when their job was done and they're like, oh, you're still alive, you haven't died yet from us making, then you're free. You know, and they were just like stuck in the middle of buttfuck Alberta, and they were like, okay, now what? Yeah. And then they just opened up Chinese food restaurants, and the other people who worked on those railroads were Scandinavian people and they were like you know what you need to do you need to ha- not just have Chinese food but you need to serve it as a smorgasbord which was everything the, their contribution to the Can- <laughs> yeah. Canadian Chinese food was yeah. to be like you need to serve this this Chinese food which you don't actually know how to make because you're not chefs you're yeah you're like laborers yeah and they just 
they just made Chinese food. Anyways, we digress. But we digress. Lesson going back to That's, Brandon. And that you. was a lit like <laughs> tangent. I know. I was like, yo, because up in Grand Rapids, Manitoba, they got a dope Chinese. And now you like can drive through it. Like you blink and it's like, you're gone. But they got a Chinese food restaurant. And it's really yeah. good. And it's also the LC. Nice. <laughs> At a gas station. Uh, it's nice. a gas station, the Chinese uh, restaurant, I'd say and the liquor that's even cooler. That's even cooler than uh, on and all Manitoba where the, the home hardware is the liquor mart. Damn. <laughs> we, we, definitely digress. we definitely digress. We definitely digress. But really hilarious. what we're talking about here is growing up in, is Brandon. Growing up in small town Manitoba and, and, and Brandon and like how, you know, um, being weird was, was definitely not cool not cool and not supported and you know we were just being weirdo skateboarders so my point is is that being a skateboarder and watching these skateboard videos that we would you know order from the back of magazines and they would come six months later and then we'd watch them and they would you know streets of fire and and um and wheels fire all these santa cruz videos that had sst like the soundtrack was like by one record label by sst and it was all like Black Flag and Sonic Youth and Minutemen and Firehose and uh, Dinosaur Jr. and all this shit like that. That was the stuff that I, I was sort of like fiending on. That was your music. That, at that was my point. music. It was not my brother's music. It was not my sister's Elton John music. It was it was my shit. Perfect. And uh, coming up in that, coming up in skateboarding and Brandon, that's how you end up meeting McEnroe as well, right? Yeah, McEnroe moved to town the first day of grade eight. He he moved to town, and um, from from Winnipeg. And he was a skateboarder as well, so we became fast friends that day. He was, uh, he he rode a GSD, and I rode a Steve Rocco, and we 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 kind of went skateboarding the first day after grade. The first day, uh, as soon as the first day of grade eight was over, we just went skateboarding for for the rest of the day. And you know, I think he came to my house and we hung out till midnight. Whatever, it was just like, yeah, you know, it was like instant friends that day. And you're like, yo, let me show you the spots. Yeah. There's a six stair set over here. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only one, but it's the Yo, one. Check this mean hub out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, Roddy McEnroe and I, we were, we were friends right off the hop from, from first day of grade eight onwards. And grade, and then, grade eight is also when I met Pip's kid, but we weren't fast friends. <laughs> you were not fast <laughs> No. I love, I that love Pat. Like story. I love Pat, but I love the fact that someone's been, that's been friends with Pat for so long. Said that and I was like, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> Say less. <laughs> Say less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pip and I, Pip, Pip. Uh, so, Matt, uh, Roddy and I went to uh, a, a New Era, which was the French immersion school, and it was a small school. Like it was, it was called New Era. New Era. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They gave you fitteds first day. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sponsored. What's your size? Yeah. <laughs> Seven and three quarters. We got you. You know, um, and, and and Pip went to the rough school. It was also equally small. It's called Earl Haig. And so because those two schools were so small, they would put us, whenever at the shops class, we had to like share shops class. So it was like the the eight boys from New Era and the, the eight boys from Earl Haig, they all got together and they were the shop class uh, um, for, you know, and they would send you to a third school for you where you would go take woodworking. And then you'd go to another school, the second term where you would take like metalworks or whatever whatever because they didn't have them all at one no they were all spread at different out schools yeah what was uh like so and i hated them <laughs> hey shops class no i hated pip's kid <laughs> <laughs> yo 
Shops. Yo, so shops, I was killer. I, I murdered. I shops. love shops, man. Yeah, shops was the shit. So what, what was it was about in, Pip that that uh, yeah, rubbed you the wrong way? We, we, got, we got to know. One of the uh, one of the shops one of the one of the shops classes that you took was graphic design or what it was called back then was called commercial art, right? Ooh. And uh, I, and so uh, true. Um, uh, so one of the one of the shops class was commercial art, and he was he was in that class, and I remember there was like. Um, you know the fancy like white erasers. It's not like those bullshit pink erasers, but the fancy like oh, yeah. drafting it actually with the blue wrapper yeah. with the blue wrapper. Yeah, you know? and uh, he had he had the, the the class eraser, and I remember him, and I remember asking to borrow it, and then he like pushed it off the drafting table onto the floor. <laughs> wow, <laughs> what grade is this? It's grade eight. Grade eight with the attitude yeah damn you, have you ever met to think years, years later <laughs> no this all makes sense yeah what you mean them and it all makes to sense think, it all to makes think sense. years later he put out an album called people are the worst <laughs> yeah. okay that okay and that's he fits. is people that fits yeah. what i've heard from him. Yeah. Uh, so i mean you know we got off to a rough start um, how do you patch that up how do you patch up the racer <laughs> debacle well a couple years yeah no doubt <laughs> a no, couple years later a couple years later we're in high school and like um, he we end up going to the same high school, um, uh, Neil and, and Brandon and uh, uh, Roddy and I are in Neilan and Pips Pips and Neilan we all converge from different schools to, and and end up in Neilan. And uh, his locker and my locker are across from each other, and I've got in in my locker. You and Pip. Yeah, and in my locker. And I remember him. I'm like, this is that fucker from shops class. <laughs> Push that and, fucking eraser on the ground. <laughs> Never and, forgot. Uh, and uh, he remembers me. But like, one thing that we find that we have in common, I see he's wearing an African medallion. I see that he's got the third base logo shaved into the back of his Damn. head. I just watched a whole bunch of MC Search Web. <laughs> I see that he's wearing like rayon polka dot shirts. Oh my god! And then so he sees about that it. he sees so that I've got about like it. I'm I'm I've got the the uh, the Boston Celtics um, like black white on black cons like the, the Brandon oh, cons. Yeah, yeah. I've the got Brandon the Brandon cons. Yeah, with the, the Celtics drip. logo on the ankle on the on the ankle. I've got the De La Soul poster in my locker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when we start to notice identity. You know? <laughs> Yo, when we yeah. start to notice things about each other where it's like okay, well, and you know we're still. This is this is like. Great night. This is eighty. This is eighty nine ninety. You know what I mean? So it's like. So it's like even like you know, rap music is not a thing anywhere in the world, let alone like I mean it's certainly not in Brandon. I mean, like in Brandon, if you heard rap music being played, it was literally by like in a if a car drove by playing rap music, it was literally one of three people. It was either Pip, myself, or this kid Trevor Anderson who lived in the East End of town. That was literally how many people were listening to rap music at that time in Brandon. And so to see. You know, to make this connection across the hall, like, okay. I see you. You're willing to forget the eraser incident? No, we still hated each other. (laughs) (laughs) He stole my De La Soul poster out of my locker. (laughs) Man. And he put it in yeah, because I didn't lock my locker because I was too cool to lock my locker. Well, he came from that bad, that bad middle yeah, school. Yeah, he's Earl Hague raised, and I was the nerd, the French immersion bilingual nerd from the new era. Yeah, exactly. Damn. So it was a rite of passage to steal your poster. He had to. He was like, you know, when you when you like a girl and you like, you know, you snap a bra strap or whatever, it's because you don't know how to like, 
you know, you don't know how to like communicate that love with to that person. So you're like, so, I'm just gonna be so awkward. So you're mean to them. You know what I mean? That's yeah, what he was that's doing. Real. He, was, he was being mean to me because he loved me. So fair enough to say then the way you've painted the way you've painted the Brandon picture is you, you guys got to be the first hip hop collective, if you will, in oh, the city. Yeah, I mean, just this like from Brandon. Yeah, yeah, we were definitely the first first group. Um, uh, that didn't come like I mean. This is, this is like, yeah, I mean, Brandon, I mean, there was one of two ways for you to hear rap music in Brandon. One of them was um, uh, CBC had a t- radio show late at night called uh, Brave New Waves. This is back when Brent Bambury hosted it way, way back. And they would occasionally, it was mostly alternative music, weird al- alternative music, which is why I listened to it in the first place so that I could hear you know, whatever. Different. Sonic Youth again, or whatever. And, um, but then one segment of the night, they would play something. They would play, I don't know, KMD or De La Soul or something. They would just play something. And um, the other way was through Much Music. You know, Much Music came to Brandon on cable TV in 86, I think, 86, 87. And they would just occasionally play a rap video on... Yeah on on you know in in rotation it was like at that time like walk this way was a, a hit on 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 radio it was like the, one of the, the very first breakthrough rap songs mm-hmm. and then maybe like a year or two later then suddenly you saw it takes two and you saw young mc and tone loke these are these videos that were suddenly blown up there it goes we're back at it man so that you basically are only consuming it that way, or bootleg tapes of DJ Bunny's show at that point, probably. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> Bunny. Yeah, Bunny was like early '90s, so I mean, by then we were already knee deep in rap. But I mean, like this time, like I remember when rap uh, before Rap City came on, there there was there was a show that was black music called Soul in the City. That mm. was Rap City. It was like mm-hmm. on Saturday afternoons for an hour, where they would just play. You know, they'd play Anita Baker videos or they would play, like, I don't know, uh, Loose Ends and whatever. They would just play R&B videos. Yeah, I think Alan Lord mentioned that as well. Yeah, but then but then, this one episode, they had a special two-hour rap episode this one, this one week. And I remember recording that rap episode. And, like, I remember even to this day, like, I can, when I hear... I got it made by special ed. I expect to hear <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, ice cream tea right afterwards because yeah. because I would watch those that two hour video that two hour episode over so much. And, and on top of that I recorded it to audio. to audio, but that's back before you had like stereo VCR, so it was only I had audio but it only came in <laughs> one, one ear one ear. Dang. So I mean, enough. That's enough. Yeah. That's enough. So Kids are spoiled these days. Skateboarding around <laughs> with my Walkman listening to this two-hour rap episode of Soul in the City through one one earphone, and um, but that's how that's how that was it. There was uh, if you wanted hip hop twelve inches, there's literally a, a store in downtown Brandon called the Country Music Center. That was the name <laughs> of the store. <laughs> that's ironic. That, that paints a picture. <laughs> it was called the Country Music Center, and they had they sold cassettes and records, and they had, and you could order special order, 
about 12 inches from them. Did it cost more? Or oh, God, just yeah. Bring, like yeah. a 12 inch was like $19 or whatever. Like it was yeah, just yeah, yeah. preposterous. It would tax you. And it would take six months. And, you know, like, <laughs> they probably have, had like a hip hop tax on it because they were like, oh, Yeah. <laughs> but it was Thor literally called the Country Music Center on 10th Street. And that's where you would go and order your rap records. How, how was your running man? My running man was amazing. So let me tell you this. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> Club no, with I'm the serious. quotables. <laughs> let me tell you this. So, so Pip. In, in, in grade 11, Pip and, and Roddy were started dating two gals who were best friends. And that's how the feud finally ended, is that Rod and Pip became friends because they were dating... They had to be. They were dating yeah. two gals who were best <laughs> friends. So they were hanging out lots. And that's how Pip... Pip, before, you know, Pip in grade 10 was playing... Um, you know, talk about going full circle, but like Pip was, was on the hockey team. Pip was a goalie in Tier 3 hockey. And he which was is playing, good hockey. Which is good. Not as good as Tier 2, but better than Tier 4. I'm a, yeah. I'm a goalie. I mean, it's, uh, it's good hockey. Yeah. Not bad I play hockey. goalie. Yeah. Um, floor hockey. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's, how, that's yeah. why he's limping. That's how he fractured his ankle. I hurt my ankle. Yeah. Walking around. So, so, so Pip and, and, and... So Pip and McEnroe, Roddy became uh, pals because they were dating the same gal. And before that, um, uh, Pip was hanging out with the jocks. He was playing hockey on the high school team you know he was still a little bit of a freak because you know he had third base shades in the back of his head and he was wearing african medallions even though he was whiter than you know like just it was just translucent he was yeah yeah he's just the weird weird it was just he was weird but when he started hanging out with us he really really embraced the weirdness and like surpassed us like you know we were weird but he looked took he took the baton and like Ran. ran with it you know he started like <laughs> you know um like skinny pants were synonymous with jocks back then if you wore skinny pants you were it was skinny jeans and if you had big baggy pants you were you were a skateboarder right yeah and back then they didn't make sk- big pants so you just had to wear oversight you had to wear oh, like, shit. And they didn't have the exhaust no they didn't <laughs> this is no. back when you just had to buy i came up I'm, i made the exhaust generation yeah, yeah i'm an exhaust yeah. generation a couple yep. years later cross colors came around right. and then suddenly okay. we could find the pants you wanted but until then you sort of had to make your so own. you just get the big pants and just wearing your dad's cinch pants. Belt? Cinch with cinch a belt with a belt you'd be wearing yeah. your dad's pants yeah a 48 with a 28 inch waist but but pip would do this move where he would like put the seams down the side of the pants and then sew in extra pant. Whoa. Uh, Damn. You know. Damn. Holy shit. That's a move. (laughs) So that the pant was, so the pant was extra big, but I mean, and then he was like, he he must, as, as, as much as your, he must have been cool as fuck back Yo, then. Yo, for real. For us, he was cool. Like, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, you sewed extra pant into your pants? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, but for us, he was definitely cool. Like, uh, you know, and we were all pretty proud of ourselves for being so, so weird. And we would, like, you know, we would try to out-weird each other. Well, but no one could it. have. But, dope. I mean, like, you know, Pip's hair was, is you know, kind of, kind of, um, you know, that, that he, he could, he had, like, dreads. He had like yeah, he's got like thick curly kind his of his hair like, is nappy. Yeah, he's got nappy hair, and yeah, so he, he could and he would like try to like he would never wash it. He would put like toilet duck and spray paint in his hair, so it would get extra nappy. And he would just you know he just grew dreads, and he was just trying to be extra weird. Sorry, Pip, if I'm putting you on blast, but it's, <laughs> this is history. We'll have you. We'll have you. We're gonna have him. Yeah, we'll so have him on we'll to defend himself. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, he'll talk a lot of shit. But <laughs> one of the things that we, one of the things we used to do, 
him and I, when we became pals, um, uh, again, this is early nineties. Hip hop music was still yep. not being played, um, in, in at school dances. So if we wanted to hear hip hop music at school dances, we actually had to like take the hip hop music and say, you know, play this, please play this for us. Bring like you bring your own. Yeah. How, how do you feel about that yeah. now as a DJ? When somebody's like, yo, can you play this off my iPod, my iPod real quick? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but, but back then, you had to be that guy. Otherwise, you were going to get... you had to be that. Yeah. You know? And it was, like, weird because we were, like, there was, like, there was the, there was the, there was that handful of freaks in the, handful of freaks in the, in the, in the, in the, in the city that all sort of, the skateboarders, the goths, the alternative kids, the, 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 the and the, the few of us that were down with hip-hop that were all sort of congregating together and... You know, they, we'd get them to play a Nine Inch Nails song, or we'd get them to play a, or a Violent Femme song at the dance, and the whole gymnasium would clear out. But then there would be like the freaks on the floor. The, <laughs> the, the, there would be like ten of us still out there, whatever. But then by the time, but Pip and I really loved high school dances because we would watch episodes of Soul Train, and we'd watch episodes of uh, Nia People's Party Machine, and we would copy the dances of yes. like scoop and scrap and like um <laughs> scoop and scrap scoop and scrap what do you uh, know about that <laughs> and like uh you know like heavy d's dancers like treble t roy and and like um special ed's dancers were really good and we would watch the line dance and we would just steal moves we would steal moves and then we would like copy these moves especially these combo dudes that like these combo moves that scoop and scrap did like we had this one move it's hard for this is this is radio, so it's hard for me to describe. <laughs> but we had this one move where like uh Pip would do this somersault back into my and I would catch his legs and then I'd walk him like a wheel wheelbarrow. I've and then, seen it. And then he I've would seen it on stage. And then he would do a somersault and then I would somersault through his legs so that <laughs> I would as he was somersaulting, so that I would end up we would both end up sitting in one in front of each other and then we'd start canoeing like a paddle like we were canoeing. <laughs> this sounds lit as they were, they, fuck. Those those that would that is so much fucking cooler than what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had all these moves and you know, the one song that I remember them playing without any provocation, without any begging was uh, no more games by by new kids on the block, mm. and so that was like a you know like uh, that was a bona fide hit. You know, Close like enough. Donnie would even rap on that song, so yeah. it was like okay, this is rap song. Let's let's pull out our moves, and we would wear matching outfits like um, matching uh, outfits. Pip's, Pip's younger Pip's younger MKB song. Pip's younger sister was a was a um, was a, a patrol at her elementary school, like like a school like a crossing guard patrol. Mm-hmm. And so we borrowed two crossing guard, like, vests. and High-vis vests. Yeah, and wore those to the school dance with, like, mining helmets and whistles. And, like, we were just wow. always just being wearing matching outfits. And we'd bust out these moves that we would, you know. That's so sick. You went from beef in, in graphics class to now we match and we're going to rock this dance. Is anybody else seeing, like, a, a movie? You know what I'm saying? You know, like, a period movie? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh. yeah. Like a John Hughes movie. For real. Mid, mid 90s just dropped, right? For you do real. like an early 90s Brandon movie. I'm yeah. saying. Because you don't really understand. People don't understand what it was like. Hip hop is the most popular music in the no, world. No, in the right internet, now. you're talking. You're talking about like very like you. You had mentioned in the technical difficulty part of this podcast that like <laughs> ordering things out of the back of magazines and waiting six months to get something. It was it wasn't as accessible as it is now. Let, 
Back in the day, I remember when new records were coming out, like when Pete Rock and CL Smooth's new record was coming out, uh, in the back of the source, there was this phone number that you could call to hear samples of what new records would come. And it would come $5 for the first minute, $3 for each additional minute, where you would just phone a a New York number and just listen to samples of new albums like that's Is that how... the first streaming <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are your streaming numbers looking that like didn't, that yeah. didn't go to to billboard numbers yeah, that's that was what it was like i mean you have to understand like hip-hop was not not ubiquitous the way it was well, you, like, you talked about that with skateboarding like when you were a skateboarder back in your day it wasn't no it, it no. wasn't cool to be the weird dude it wasn't cool to be the outcast it was looked down upon by especially being in a small town i can only imagine but mm-hmm. I can still remember that time when it was like it wasn't cool. No, it, it was wasn't. like no, you're like you're a degenerate. You were like, a you freak. Like you were, you were a freak. You were outcast. And I mean, honestly, it made us who we are. Which I can't say. Um, you know, I am who I am because of that's how that's how I had to come up. But I mean, but um, pushing that shit ball up the shit hill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how does how does Farm Fresh? Like, where, where do yeah, we get from? How do you fresh? go from matching outfits and, and dancing? And high-vis vests and somersaults <laughs> and wheelbarrows. So, so like, mean, now we're going to rap. Let's fucking do this. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. We had a, we, before we had a rap group, we had a punk rock group called Post Office. And, Good, uh, name. Good name. Good yeah. name. Yeah, I mean, it was of a take on, like, you know, there was all these war- these terms being bandied around, like, post-punk and post-whatever. Yeah. So we're like... We're going to call ourselves Post Office, and we thought we were just so clever. <laughs> and we played two shows, and it was both at wake Wakeathons. Do you know what Wakeathons are? No. No. What is a Wakeathon? It's like, you know, it's like a Wakeathon is where you would, like, stay at school all, all night, night long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah stay yeah. up, stay up for... I feel like they don't once. do that. They don't do they, that anymore. They did, they did them, like... They, they it's kind of like where that sleep yeah. outside kind of shit came yeah. from. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. You, you would do a Wakeathon, and you would, like... You know, ask your aunt and uncle or your parents for like a ten dollar uh, donation. And if I stay up till eight a.m., you're gonna give me ten bucks, and then you would just collect all this money for some sort a of fundraiser. Charity, a fundraiser. Yeah. And it was called a wakeathon, and you would just sit around at school and watch movies in the AV room, and you know, whatever, whatever. And um, and we, a band, our band, Post Office, played played shows there, but there was all covers. I think we had one. A few original songs, but we would mostly cover like Pixies and uh, and Firehose and um, Beast Beastie Boys and whatever. We just do we would just do covers. And that was all like, who's this at this time? Uh, that was me. Who's the members of Post Office? That was me. I was the lead singer. Lead singer yes. of Post Office. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, for the <laughs> podcast listeners, uh, he uh, raised his eyebrows numerous times. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty proud of that. Uh, McEnroe Roddy was the um, was the bass player and the I guess the the uh, band leader and uh, Ron Graham was on drums Brian Hay was on guitar and um, Curtis Workington was the dancer. And you had a dancer. dancer. Yeah, yeah. Damn. And but <laughs> is this um, new ground? Is there other <laughs> bands that had a dancer? Oh yeah, I mean especially at four o'clock in the morning when he was wearing like a. You know, he was basically wearing like a a woman's like negligee teddy, and it was like <laughs> we're all losing our minds, delirious from sleep. And, uh, and then Pip, okay. and then Pip, whenever it came time to rap, that's okay. when Pip, Pip would join us. Pip and, would join. Yeah. So was he like, you know, just a quick little thing? Was Pip like kind of the MC from Brandon? Was that like the? Yeah. Like he yeah. was the first. He was like, yo, that guy raps. 
perhaps. Yes, he was the first because uh, after post office, um, Pip, who had then had since switched to a different high school because we were such a bad influence on him that he was like flunking out of school. So he was like, the only way we can save this child is if he just we get him away from these weirdos. You know, he didn't fare any better, but when he went, but he moved to a different school, um, and. Um, this is all so this is coming close to the end of high school so it's like 90 summer of 91 90 91 somewhere some anyways he had to uh he had to um he had a school project that he had to um do some sort of I don't know public speak I don't know what class it was but he chose to write some rap songs and um Roddy was you know not a hip-hop fan at this time, but Roddy was certainly interested in the process of making rap music. He was, because he's a super nerd and like a tech dude, and so he was interested in the process of sampling and the process of of how, how problem-solving how we can make these beats, because there was no, nobody had samplers. None of us had the equipment. We had a realistic mixer that we had borrowed from a, uh, another a dude, like a, like a little Radio Shack mixer. Mm-hmm. We had a turntable that that had a pitch control of plus or minus like four percent that was Roddy's parents, and we had a CD player, and that's all we had, mm-hmm. and a tape deck, a dual cassette tape deck, and we figured out a way to make beats using pause, making pause tapes. Pause tapes. Word. Mm-hmm. Maybe explain. Can we explain for the young kids for the what a pause, what, what a pause, pause tape, tape is? is? So you understand what a mixer does. Like a mixer enables you to play more than one. Th- Th- uh, source over top of each other, right? Mm-hmm. So we had the sources that we had were a CD player, a record player, and then a cassette deck in which to record what we what was happening. What was happening? So on one record, on a record, on one source we would find a sample. On the other source, we would find some drums. Usually on a record we would find on a hip hop twelve inch we would find. The instrumental version that maybe had some, like maybe four bars of open drums. drums. Yep. And then on the CD, we would find a sample. And then uh, we would sort of pitch control those drums until they matched. And then we would like push them together and sort of force them to be on top of each other in the right More or less as close. And we would record that onto 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 a cassette. And then with that cassette... You would put another cassette in the dual cassette deck, and you would like record four bars of that, and then you would pause. Then you would rewind the source tape, cue it up perfectly, and then unpause again. And then suddenly you'd have eight bars. And then you'd <laughs> rewind the source tape again, pause, Damn. cue it up, and then hit unpause on both of them. And then you'd have twelve bars. And then eventually you would have enough for. A song. A song. I'm already let, let, annoyed. Just in case, just in case, just listen to that. I'm annoyed. Just in case y'all don't know, each verse is usually about 16 bars. <laughs> All that he was talking about, that was 12 bars so far. We yeah. didn't even get to 16. So but to you, make a whole song, you, you, took some time. And right off the hop, we were already pretty because we were fans of rap music. We understood what we wanted, structure wise. Structure wise. Yeah. So like we, on that source tape, you would have the sample and the drums on top of each other. Then you would have just the drums. Then you would have just the sample. So then you could like arrange it. So you could say, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to drop the drums out here. And so you would cut, rewind back to that, just the sample portion. And then you would bring the drums. Then you would pause it on the four. And then you would unpause. And then 
you would have the snare come in. Like it was just a very intricate way of like, of yeah. like what you do now in Logic very quickly with a couple of clicks. Mm-hmm. Y'all were doing with like three or four different inputs all at yeah. one time to stitch this together essentially, and it, you would stitch it all together. And once it was done. Okay, now we can wrap. Now we can wrap over. <laughs> Damn. And so we made copy and paste is like three wow. clips. <laughs> that's, that's so crazy. That's so crazy to me because I'm still from the digital age. Like the first rap music I created was on a computer in my room with like Cool Edit Pro, yeah. and I thought that was rudimental. Mm-hmm. Like the way I was doing things then, I was like, oh man, it's like thinking to now. We had nobody working on Logic or Pro Tools. I'm like, holy shit! I mean, even then, like, we had nobody. Um, we had nobody showing us how to. Yeah, there's no YouTube tutorial on how to make a pause. Yeah, there was no, <laughs> there was no like elder statesman rap dudes in Brandon who were showing us how to do it. You mm-hmm. know, so nobody's showing showing us their SP1200 and saying, here's how you, here's how you actually do it. Here's how you, all your favorite records that you listen to did Get it. Made. No, we didn't know how, so we just figured it out. And at that point, you don't even realize how these records are getting made. You no. don't know what an SP-1200 really is yet, no, I would, we, I would we, imagine, people right? People mention, mention these words on... on uh, Tapes or whatever. On, on, but... on songs, but you're like, I don't know what the hell that is. Mm-hmm. You know, you see... And you're using the tools that are at your disposal. At your, yeah, that you have. And that's mm-hmm. hip-hop in its essence, frankly. For real. 100%. It, it, is, is um, you know, people just using what's available I, to them. I can't remember what group... It was, I feel like, yeah, I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about how he used to sample was like, they would take tape, flip up all the chairs around the table, run the tape around the room, and then cut the section that they would want. And sure, just splice cut and the tape. Yeah. And splice the tape. And that's how they would make it. Strickland was saying that when he was working in a studio when it was tape. He I was think like, it was Eric Sermon. So that's not, yeah, not that's far not off far that off, it would be yeah. him. And yeah. he was like, yo, like, you think this is like, <laughs> try cutting tape. <laughs> Oh, listening, cutting, listening, cutting, and then like yeah, razor blades, and you get really good at it. And you do the if you razor blade like some two inch tape at an angle, like at a sharp diagonal, and then so that you get that Fade. blend. A right? blend, oh, yeah. Blend. yeah, yeah. As soon as you started saying it, I was like, yeah. yeah. But that was not the drag blend. <laughs> that was like a literal straight cut. Yeah. 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 Wow. So I mean, we were just making instrumentals the only way we knew how it was diy so pip wrote these first three songs for high school and and then that was kind of the start of that was sort of the start of farm fresh um, amazing and that would have been like yeah 90 92 what year's the interview the interview is you know uh, what interview i was talking the, about the one from youtube yeah yeah so i mean that's the I day be- that that's the day before our first ever show which was January of 93. So, Damn. Um, so January of 93. So, I mean, that's... So, we're each of us are just 18 years old in that in that video. Pa- Pip and I would have just been, turn, just been turned 18 in that video. Um, yeah, and that song that we perform on, on that footage, Celine Dion, again, that's a pause tape. That's, that's four bars chopped from a... From a Doors song, organ sample from Doors song, that's uh, that's um, drums taken from U- uh, UMC's 12 inch, and that's Rod playing bass over top of it, and it's Damn. all arranged. You know, it's like, you know, four bars of just the, just the organ, and then the drums drop on the four, and then it's you know, and it's all arranged, and uh, I I wrote most of that song too. Oh, you wrote the lyrics? Slight flex. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, the way we would, well, the way we would do songs back then, because we were kind of like, okay, I don't know how it happened where we suddenly had a show. We suddenly had a show booked for us. And, uh, and we had to uh, come up with enough material for a whole show. And so I remember taking, sitting in the university, because at this point, I guess we'd be, I would be in first year university at this point. I remember taking all these snippets of lyrics that, that I had written and that Pat had written and that Roddy had written and like basically piecing them all together and making songs like, and then assigning them like, okay, you know, these, this eight is going to go to Pat and this eight is going to go to Roddy. And I, I basically just like composed the songs from scraps of lyrics. Executive producer. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then we, you know, and then we performed a song or performed a show the following day opening for Meat Rack and Red Fisher, which Red Fisher was a big-ass punk, punk rock band at the time, like, um, um, you know, Jason Tate, who played with Weaker Thans and Bahamas and things like mm -hmm. that. That was his first... His first band, yeah, really? Yeah. Crazy. Can we... Uh, so that would have been a good look for you guys, in terms yeah. of... Uh, it was. Yeah, it was weird that that was our first show. I don't know how we got that show. It was weird. Where was it? It was at the Brandon University, like, at the mingling area in Brandon University. At BU? Yeah. Can we play it? Yeah, we can play can it. Can we play it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, gonna, sure. yeah we we'll, play plug, we'll, we'll plug yeah. it in. Steve's we got, have it. Steve's got uh, we the, have it. the thing, so we'll plug yeah. it in. And can we'll, we play it? Yeah, just to, get, just to paint that picture a little bit. I, I really want to. I just started watching the video, and it's like the way it starts with uh, the optical. Oh, the, the Brandon Optical <laughs> commercial. Yeah, the yeah. Brandon Optical commercial. That's straight up Brandon, 1993. It's bugged that y'all were making, like, you're talking about shows in 93. Yeah, that's I'm, crazy. I'm, I'm born in 85 so i'm like i'm what seven I'm yeah seven years old and you guys are doing pause to like it you're creating music yeah like i just like i said like i'm still from the digital age yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah like, no totally it was like i was like like looking back i was looking like on this computer i went on found a bunch of old stuff and i was like holy shit like yeah. this was so rude. I was cool at it. Pro two point one. Like I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. yo, that's yeah. Even me and Steve, the first songs we ever made to, together was like covers that we would record in garbage, a garage garbage, garage band, band. garbage, garbage band. band, garbage band. You shouldn't hate on that. Slip. We're such spoiled kids hating on that kind of stuff. All right, let's get into this one. Get a hand for this one. This one. I have with four fingers and one thumb. one thumb. So I can grip the mic like Bob Barker. I'm smooth with the ladies like Peter Parker. I come off like a hat in a restaurant with a side order. So what you want? I roll like a mean no roller roller ball until I relax and drink a Craig Marcoli. I'll sit in the back and slack to cook a caboose. Drink it and drink Mmm, orange juice. I could tie a loose noose around a moose. Think I would? I would like spruce because I'm hard like the pancakes I cook. Yeah. See, I'm tougher than a hard cover book. Sharper than a fishing hook. One Two, I double take twice, you look. You got it going on, you got it going on, you got it going on, like Celine Dion. You got it going on, you got it going on, you got it going on, like Celine Dion. 
little I gave Carter, so I welcome you back. Get nimble to the rhythm and jump like Jack. Tripper, he had a friend named Larry Zo. Move to the sound of your stereo. As it goes boom, boom, like Washington. If I was a dad, I'd be the number one in the world or even in the universe. I'm getting paid even more from my mom's purse. Rehearse, I don't, I do it first try. Pulling crazy fat stunts like the fall guy. And on and on and on and on. We're Canadian like Celine Dion. But Celine is a lady and we aren't. And we don't have a perfect at Kmart. And we don't find the US market enticing. And we never did a duet with people pricing. Got it going on. You got it going on. You got it going on. Like Celine Dion. You got it going on. We got it going on. Like Celine Dion. Wow, that was such a good cut. <laughs> That's that's pretty legendary, and the way so that starts 18. with the Brandon Optical, I love it. I love it. It's that's a it's it's a nice. I'm glad that exists on the internet. It's a nice bit of nostalgia. Shout out sure. to uh, Bunny Lester who reposted that, and that's how I saw it. Is that <laughs> Bunny posted it again? So <laughs> shout out Bunny once again. Yeah, taking it back. Yeah, Bunny's the archivist man. He's got it all. <laughs> he's got it all. He said he has all those tapes I from back it. in the day. Yeah. He's he's honestly like one of those dudes. Like for me. Um, I guess because I came from punk too before I got into hip hop. Um, and maybe you can clear this up for me. I went to a show when I was mad young and it was, uh, I know fermented reptile was there and a group called malfaction was there Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure propagandy was like the headliner at that show. And it was at at the U of M. Yeah, at the U of M at the multi-purpose room. Bruh. I have yeah, the- from Ender Reptile and six, uh, Anthem Red. Yes. Yeah. Bro, that, I was at that show, and I remember my mom dropped me off there, and she's like, are you going to be good? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be fine. And shout out to my mom for believing in me, because like, the second she drove away, I was like, damn, I don't know. <laughs> you were there by yourself? I was there by myself, but I was I was always hanging out with older people. So you're meeting. So right? I was meeting up with somebody that was much older than yeah, me. Yeah, mom dropped me off around the corner type shit. And like <laughs> like we're we're talking about back in the day shit. This was like there was no cell phones, yeah. there was no pagers. It was like I'll meet you there, I gotta and find I'm just you. taking your word for it that you will meet me Show there. Show up, Damn. <laughs> And if you are not there, I don't know what to do. I got a ticket. I'm going in. And so punk, f- punk rock and and hip hop have, have always had an affinity together. I mean, I'm. You, I'm reading the Beastie Boys book right now, and it's mm. like talking about New York in the early '80s, and just like how hip hop and punk rock coexisted early, early, early on, and and like same with Brandon. I mean, our first few shows were I mean, punk rock shows were happening in Brandon, but that's where our first shows that's that's where our first shows were happening. We're they give you that opening rock, spot. Punk rock same thing with us with Three P. Like the first shows we ever got was sharing a bill with punk rockers. Yeah, Who yeah, it's crazy so, that y'all did yeah. it like that too. And that was that was cool. That is pretty yeah. cool. Because years later. The, I mean, the community, in, even in Winnipeg, the community is so small that like the subcultures just have to coexist in order for anything to really pop off. I think you to know, happen, like, yeah. there's not enough enough of a hip hop world thing. and not enough of a punk rock world. But just, they just all coexist, especially nowadays. I mean, like nowadays music is all homogenized and it's all just. But I mean, it's always been that way, and it's, I think it's so different. You know, listen to me talk now; it's like I think it's so different. But it, and I just finished saying that it was exactly the same in 1980. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's just Things the way it is. Things go in cycles. Yeah. Wave of Bobby Brown, just amp like Michael. Yeah. Um, but let's so fermented reptile we're talking about, and we're talking about Farm Fresh, kind of the the acts that are on this label that becomes peanut and cor- peanuts and corn. And so, at what point do you guys? Are like okay, we're gonna have a record label too. Is it because you need to make something or? Well, th- so f- jump ahead from this first 18, show, eighteen-year-old honeycut. From this first yeah. show, um, 
Roddy moves Roddy moves to uh, Winnipeg right away because as soon as he's done university, he's a he's a boy genius. Or as soon as he's done high school, he's a boy genius, and he's off to take engineering school at to U of M. And Pip and I stick around and Brandon and fuck around and work at record stores and work at uh, grapes and whatever the fuck we do. And um, uh, then we play show. We just play shows like Pip and I. We're getting used to like driving to Winnipeg, playing shows till two in the morning, and then like driving back to Brandon's because we had to work the next day at five a.m. Uh, you know, so we'd be home by five a.m. and back at work the next day at nine a.m. You know, Damn. it was just our lifestyle for, for a couple of years, and then uh, then I guess we decided in the summer of '94 to start recording our record. And um, we actually got we won a battle of the bands, uh, in, at the Unwinder in Brandon, which was the, the the one of the shitty bars, and we we won this money that uh, enabled us to get some studio time. And we thought that we would, you know, just record a record in the studio, and it and we just piddled that money away, and it just didn't like we tried to remake our beats. I guess I should probably mention that. Um, we at this point we actually had a real sampler. We bought an Akai SO1 that was like a rack mount sampler that had ten seconds of sampling time. A bevy. Yeah, sixteen bit <laughs> sixteen bit ten seconds of sampling time. And you know, you could pitch shift and or you know, you could you, it was just to us it was like everything. Light years ahead of what Next we were level. doing. You went from pause tapes to a sampler. Exactly. And um so we so we were making beats, or it was mostly Roddy at this point making the beats because he was the one who owned the sampler and he lived in a different city. So, I mean, I was still making beats back in Brandon on pause taste, but using a four track to, to arrange them. Mm. But so in the, in the, in the, so this, after this failed studio attempt where we thought we would remake our beats in the studio and waste and piddled away all of our studio time. We just decided to make this record on the fly in Roddy's apartment in Winnipeg, and so in the sum, in the winter of '94, we made the Space EP, which was our first album. It's Peanuts, Peanuts and Corn Zero Zero One, and that's the the reason why Peanuts and Corn is Peanuts and Corn is because when you put out a record, you have to, it. You know, being record collectors, you we knew we knew that it had to be on a label. Yeah. You know, you look at the spine, and it has to have a catalog number. It can't just be blank. Right. So we just came up with, you know, that was an inside joke. Everything that we do or did was an inside joke, you know. So Peanuts and Corn, we thought was a funny, you know, a funny, it was a shit joke, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was, I was waiting for that. Was, it's a shit joke. For that. Yeah. And our slogan was Peanuts and Corn coming out with the shit, you Woo! know. Oh. <laughs> but then you put it like that and then it's not so like yeah. frat boyish, like it's mad funny. Yeah. And so that was our slogan and that was our label. And then uh, uh, so we put this, this tape out on my, it was my 20th birthday, actually. It was December 8, 94 is when we put out the Space EP. And uh, still available on Bandcamp. On yeah. uh, the, the the peanuts and corn bank. Yeah. Yeah. You want to go check that yeah. out? Yeah, it's all been digitally remastered, and you want to listen to it. But um, yeah, and that had uh, Mood Rough on it. Now Rod Roddy had moved to Winnipeg, and he went to um, the U of M and met these uh, through a mutual friend. Met these dudes, um, Garfield, who uh, Odario, and Eli. 
MC Spitz. Yeah, Spitz, the <laughs> Spitz dumb microphone hitter and uh, dazzled the daydream fiend. They were mood rough. Yeah. I should also, you know, I think an interesting story is just how different the Winnipeg, like the Winnipeg hip hop scene actually was um, when when we arrived. You know, like the first Winnipeg, the first Winnipeg show we played was at the Albert. It was like at a punk rock venue, and we mm-hmm. played. And uh, I remember our first hip hop show we played was uh, um, Louis, who's in the Montreal rap group called Nomadic Massive. Uh, this guy Louis is a French rapper, and he had a radio show at CKS, CKS Bay, the Saint Boniface uh, University Saint Boniface mm-hmm. radio station. Like before, there was UMFM, before there was CKW, before there was, you know, streets or anything. The only place you were hearing rap music in Winnipeg was on CKS Bay. It was like the college station that actually played rap. Right. And Louis had this show called Papa's Cradle to the Grave. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> That's an amazing name for a radio show. Yeah. And he would play rap music on that show. And I remember that we were invited to play a show at the West End Cultural Center for Papa's Cradle to the Grave. Damn. And that was our first actual hip-hop show. And the first show playing to a hip-hop audience. And we show up. And because we were came from the punk world, we showed up with 45 minutes of material, 50 minutes of material all over our own beats, um, ready to play a show. You know, this is how you play a show. You yeah. show up with 40, you play up, with, show up with 45 minutes to an hour of material, 10, 15 songs. Yeah. And you're, you know, and everybody's like, what? Like people were just blown away. They were like, everybody else was doing two or two songs over instrumentals off of 12 inches. Nobody had their mm-hmm. own beats. Yeah. You know, so when we showed up, you were well prepped. We had no idea what we were doing. We back in Brandon, we had no idea what we were doing. We were just flying by the seat of our pants. But when we showed up, we realized that we were sort of like miles ahead of everybody else. <laughs> For real, <laughs> yeah. Because we had been making our own beats. Yeah. And so when Mood Rough met met Roddy, they were like, "This is this kid. This is this white kid from Brandon who makes his own beats. He's got a fucking sampler. He's in got his a head. sampler. Oh, yeah, sampler." <laughs> Everybody was like, Shit. everybody wanted McEnroe. Everybody wanted Roddy Rod, the microphone god, to be making. <laughs> everybody wanted Roddy Rod to be making their beats, you know, because there's this, there's this kid, this kid from Brandon who makes his own beats. Nobody had their own beats. Everybody was rapping over instrumentals off of B-sides of 12 inches. Yeah. So we were kind of blown away. We were like, isn't that what you all do? And everybody's yeah. like, no, we just rap over. Because from the hip-hop side of things, you know, you you talk to Shades, you talk to all these old school dudes, and they were like, oh, we were just like lucky to hop on to at, at at parties. We were lucky to just convince the 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 DJ to flip the record over and put on an instrumental, and then we would hop on and do our routine, you know? Yeah. So is McEnroe the first hip-hop producer in Winnipeg? Like, Well, there was, we had a, uh, we had Good a. Good question, uh, Steve. Producer to producer. We, <laughs> we like, had a rivalry like with another rap beats. group. We had a rivalry with Farm another Fresh had a rivalry with another rap group in the city called Freak Show. Oh so Freak Show was <laughs> I just saw it. It was crazy because Mala was just downstairs. Like Was it? Yeah, like an hour ago getting a haircut. So is Mala is Mala and uh and and Gruff the Druid were in a rap in a group called Twisted Spirits. And they were produced by Sunil. Uh, Ish Bechter oh, and uh, um, Sunil and Shazam 
Michael Shazam Wright, uh, Sheldon Sherland, were in Freak Show. And Shazam, uh, sorry, uh, Sunil made his own beats. And he made really fucking good beats. <laughs> real recognized, real. And we had a very real. friendly slash not friendly rivalry because they recognized that these kids from Brandon had made their own beats as well. But that was, as far as I know, the only people who were making their own beats at that time. And Rudruff sided with us, and we became the Tabs crew. Again, another shit reference. Wow. Tabs stood for taking a big shit. <laughs> That's why we had songs. We had all of these songs called, um, our first posse cut was called Tabs on You. Wow. Taking a big shit on you. Our second, Our second posse cut was called Tabs at the High School Dance. (laughs) (laughs) Because what's more awkward than taking a big shit at a high school dance? Damn, so real. Um, But that happens. You get nervous (laughs) stomach at those events. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, so... So Moodruff sort of sought out Roddy and was like, "Yo, you make beats." So Moodruff appeared on our on the on the Space EP. They the the uh, tabs on no sorry um um uh, the tabs song is on um was on um the Space EP and that's that's where um, the tabs crew started and so then. Um, yeah, we we named the Space EP was was Penis and Corn Zero Zero One, and then. A few months later, we put out Mood Ruff's first album called uh, um, Maxim, and mm. that came out like in the spring of '94. Sorry, spring of '95. Because yeah, and then uh, and then we put out Farm Fresh's Crazy Friction, and then we put out Flu, uh, and then we put out Different Shades of Black's Next School Pioneers, and these are all albums that are all produced by uh, Roddy. I do cuts on all of them. And you guys are recording, I guess, with a four-track at this point in the house. Well, no, we were recording with on ADAT with a sixteen-track, and uh, just stuff that we would rent for the month, and we would just, you know, Roddy Roddy would sequence the beats live. Like if you can picture this SO one, it's not like it's a, it's not pads. No, it's, it's like, buttons. It's a rack mount, so it just has buttons. So he's just literally there, um, sequencing on the fly. You know, like just pressing like and recording onto a multi on a on an eight-track. To paint the picture for kids who don't know what rack mount or whatever is, imagine a dude just like pushing buttons on a on like a VCR. Yeah, and a yeah. VCR might even be a dated reference. Yeah. <laughs> but like yeah. on you know, DVD it, player. Yeah, just yeah. like hitting buttons like upright. You know, you, and you, doing see, it live. you see you see producers sometimes with pressing, um, you know, uh, 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 pads on a, on an MPC or something like that. That's that was that was be, that was too much for us. We were, we were less, literally pressing buttons on a rack mount SO one. And sequencing like live, you know, sequencing on the fly, and then recording it all, and making these beats, and but then recording digitally and recording onto, recording onto ADAT, and and Roddy was Roddy was recording them all, and yeah, by by uh, the end of '95, we had already put out five cassettes, you know, and uh, five five records, two by two by Farm Fresh, two by Mood Rough, and one by um, by uh, Shades. So. And just taking a big shit on the Winnipeg hip hop. Yo, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I actually like 
I really, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I I'm really glad that we got that. That's our gem. That's the one gem we can get out of this. Yeah. yeah. Nobody knows what tabs means. Now they're going to look at it a whole lot of different. <laughs> yeah, that's whole different crazy. We had, you, we had plans for other tabs songs like, you know, tabs in the Burger King bathroom. Tabs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. just tabs everywhere. <laughs> tabs, tabs everywhere. Tabs where toilets tabs, are available. Tabs yeah. worldwide. You know. <laughs> Want to hear that CD? Yo, Tabs World Wide. Fire. What do you want to get into, Tony? Man, I want to go. I want a bevy of knowledge. I know he's got a bevy. We're just scratching the surface at this point, so we we got to some of the farm fresh stuff, some of the early uh, peanuts and corn uh, recordings. But uh, you're talking about how you're doing scratches on all these records, and I would Mm -hmm. say that most people, if they see you and know you these days, they know you as a DJ. Mm -hmm. I would say for first and foremost. Uh, yeah, nowadays. I mean, I mean, I was everybody's like Roddy would sometimes back up Mood Rough, but I was pretty much the house DJ for Penis and Corn Records. So whenever Shades performed or whenever, you know, yeah, certainly when Farm Fresh performed and yeah. Uh, so so when so at this point are you DJing parties as well throughout this whole time? Or? Yeah, I mean, like we would we would play parties, we would play parties, and then I would close out the night and 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 party and and DJ, but. Um, I didn't really start throwing my own parties until like 99 or like late nineties, early two thousand. Getting into that time. And then, so how, I want to know how the funk boats get started. Cause that's kind of a legendary party here in the, in the city. That was by the railroad bridge, no? Well, it was on the river Rouge, Rouge. boat yeah. and where it, where it docked was really dependent on how high the river was. There, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, um, Farm Fresh sort of split up in 97, I think Pat Pitt moved out to, uh, moved, moved away for a little bit. And then when he came back, he formed Fermented Reptile and, uh, McEnroe created the McEnroe persona and he started putting out solo records. And yep. that's, that's when we started to move into like vinyl and CDs and we were starting and penis and Roddy quit his job as a engineer and or quit his job with MTS and just started running the label full time and. At its peak in the early 2000s, like, Peanuts and Corn was being had distribution in the United States and Japan and, and in Europe, and was we were putting five, six records out a, a, a year. That's crazy. And, uh, and, you know, Roddy just ran the label full time, you know. Uh, I hear there's a rumor, actually, that Peanuts and Corn released uh, a run of the Special Herbs by MF Doom. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and like there, Damn. there are some there, there are some records out there like the the special herbs like vinyls that have like the peanuts and corn like stamp on them. Do you know this story where uh, I, I I don't I mean I've heard I've heard Nessus told me some stories, but like I want you to like recount the story. Yeah. this is pretty funny. This is when Roddy had moved to Vancouver and was running the label full time out of, and we were also a distribution, we were also a distribution label. So I mean, in the you know in the early, late in the late nineties, early two thousands, especially in the early two thousands. This is when indie rap was was huge. It was everywhere. It was like, you know, we were making we were making our living off of rap. You know what I mean? Like we had our records were selling um, around the world. You know, we have fans, you know, sending us letters from all over the the world. You know, flex on them, flex on them one time, please. You're such like a nice, (laughs) humble dude, but like the things you're you're talking about very flexible things flexible like <laughs> you know you go from talking about making pause tapes in brandon to selling you, music selling all over the yes. world and getting fat i just want to tip my hat to you yeah, because that's real. that's something that um 
I know I'm thankful for being a, a, a child of the digital age, but like for you guys to do that from that to that is I mean, and it's, it's incredible. It's, and it's, it's all Roddy. It's Roddy made that choice to like make it this full time hustle. You know what I mean? Like Roddy chose to like quit like a sixty thousand dollar a year job to just like to get to just maybe money to just yeah to maybe get money for sure money and, or maybe and money. to sit to sit on a storage locker of boxes and boxes of t-shirts and cds much like you know much like brooklyn's mom is sitting on now you know what i mean like it's like that's what it's like you know you, you you're producing records you know and and uh you know uh, at the point you know we had you know, when, when uh, McEnroe started performing solo, that's when this young kid named John Smith started, like, coming around, and he became McEnroe's, became McEnroe's hype man, and then, we, and then he started putting out his own records, and then there's this group called Turn the Gun with, their, no, sorry, Milch, um, um, Your Brother in My Backpack, who, uh, who uh, was Yai and Gumshoe Strut, and all, so all these, these next generations started coming around that we started just putting on the label. You know, Roddy moved to Vancouver and met Bird of Prey, and then next thing you know, he's putting out Alleged Legends with him and uh, him and Moves from Halifax. So, I mean, the the hip hop community, the the Canadian independent hip hop community at that time was such that where we could tour twice a year across Canada and and make a living. You know what I mean? Like That's it was a so, shitty living. It's but so incredible. That's so incredible. Yeah. It's like the Canadian rockets or something. You know what I mean? Like it's the Canadian independent we, hustle. These I guys mean, these guys were like legends. Like when I was like coming like when I was young, young, I can remember like like legendary. Like I was like, man, what the fuck? Like, Pe- Peanuts and Corn Records was on par with like in terms of production. I mean, we were at, uh, maybe around 2000, 2003, Peanuts and Corn was like producing more than any independent record label hip-hop or not you know what i mean like i mean it was producing half dozen records a year it was on par with anticon it was on par with like these other like deaf jocks these other not selling as many units but i mean putting out as much stuff and having selling units you know um so it was just a special time like when that shit fell off it fell off hard but i mean mm-hmm. at that time in like 2001 through 2004 i would say that like peanuts and corn was i mean that's the indie peak that was the in general, peak. right? And that was the peak where, like, you know, we were we were in the same conversations as those as those groups. You know what I mean? Because that was, you know, because Canadian rap, along with Buck sixty five and all that other shit, yeah, was like no different than 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 listening to Company Flow or whatever, whatever. Like it was all in the same conversation. Yeah, you know, so. To, to touch on that special herbs again, though. Special yeah. herbs. So I, I, just heard, I just heard Roddy got uh, got. Um, so special had some had some words with them of doom. That's all. So special. So we. So so he Roddy was selling so many units that he also became a distribution company because there was money to be made distributing other records. So he just started to distribute Female Fun, which was who put special herbs out. So they decided to spit Female Fun, and and Pants and Corn put out one of the special herbs, and Roddy was in charge of pressing it, and he got the master. And the first song on the on the master was just a straight, blatant loop of a Steely Dan song, like it was not. It was and and, and this is when the sample police like this is back when like, um, you know, um, r- record presses, uh, pressing plants were afraid to get sued because they could get sued too. You know, not just the artist, but the plant the could plant get sued. Can get sued for sample for sampling. And so the record plants. We would we would hide our samples by putting like 
you know, spoken word samples at the beginning of the record. So the person would like, the person who was hired by the, the, the record plant to like skim records to see if there was any some blatant <laughs> shit on there would listen to the first 10 seconds. Oh, it's just a prank phone call. Skip. You know, oh, it's just a something from... This is before the, the algorithms and the matrix took... Exactly. It was, AI. There was, was a man, a real person. Like, you know what? No, this is good. 75-year-old man just listening going, I know that. I recognize that. But... Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, but uh, Shout out to all those old guys. Yeah. That would have been my job if it was in goddamn ag- algorithms. That would have been my job. That's, that's a dude who caught Robin Thicke. Yeah. <laughs> so... So we we got good at hiding, burying our samples, and just you know that's how that's how any good producer got better after the De La Soul suing. That's how you know any producer got better just finding more obscure samples or plucking a bar from the middle of a song rather than the. But this this special blends he got Roddy got the master was about to send it to the press, and uh, and the first song the first second of the song is just a blatant steely dan loop like just straight out like oh that's that's a steely dan that's a- i'm sure quite funky though yeah it was great but i mean you know like yeah. like these special band blends i don't know how many ver- there was like 12 versions 12 dozen uh, like there was like 12 12 um volumes of it and it's like it's just it's just mf doom banging out these these loops and you know selling them to, to hungry kids you know yeah so roddy emailed uh doom <laughs> and, and said this is not going to pass the this is not going to pass the uh the uh the censors at the, that they're at the record pressing plant like we have to cut this song or we have to like bury it we have to do something about this song and he got a reply from his hero we were all massive <laughs> massive massive kmd fans and massive mf doom fans and he gets a reply from his hero don't fuck with me and that's what that was Roddy and Matt, uh, and MF Doom's correspondence. <laughs> don't so fuck. So well, Matt said, said it like, "Don't fuck with me, white boy." Right. <laughs> that's what he said. Really? <laughs> I mean, that's what Ness told me. So you that's know, fine. Ness is a credible source. So don't, you know, it's not all glamour and glitz. You know? No, for real. Sometimes your sometimes heroes you gotta tell say, you this. Yeah, sometimes you got to say no that's to your so heroes, and then they threaten you. Yeah. yeah, when when idols become your rivals, yeah. that's 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 true. I watched uh, um, Dub C from uh, yeah What's West Side funny? Connection. He was doing a video in Winnipeg with um, our rivals at the time. Winnipeg's most guys, we we hated these dudes that he was doing the record with. And uh, a homie of mine was the local promoter that had brought him in, and he was like, "Yo, man." He, <laughs> He ain't, Dub C ain't feeling these dudes. And he sent me a screenshot, which at the time was on a flip phone. So it was like a screenshot of a fucking screenshot. Right. It, was just, it was just Dub C like sending a text on a flip phone, which you yeah. know was like. Yo, so he was really thumbing that up. He was, he said, it, was, it could be three clicks a letter, you don't yeah. know. And it was like, a, 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 he was angry. He was angry yeah. to say the least. <laughs> and, they, and, they, and those guys were so hurt by that because we all, we ended up smoothing it over years later. But they were like, "Man, that, that broke our heart." That he hated us. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh man, I feel bad for y'all, Sorry, man." Yeah. It was war back then. Yeah. <laughs> Taking it back to the Funk Book and how that got right. started. So Roddy's in Vancouver running the label. Uh, Pips, who the fuck knows where Pip went? You know, living in he was living in Halifax in the late '90s. 
Uh, so I was here by myself, and so I was just uh, started throwing parties. My first party was called Risky Business. And um, do you know the movie Risky Business? Yes, sir. Yeah. Sliding with the sauce. Love that sauce. shit. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so the concept of Risky Business is that, uh, you know, he gets mixed up. He starts um, a, a brothel in his house, and um, the pimp uh, of these prostitutes robs him of all his shit. Empties, cleans his house out, empties his shit. And so he's got to throw, or no, he wrecks a car. He wrecks a Porsche. And so he's got to run a brothel in, <laughs> in his house in order to get, to Stole raise it. the money to fix the Porsche before his, before his parents come back. Yeah. And that's the, and that, so he runs a brothel in his house. <laughs> that's such a good 80s movie. movie. It's a fantastic movie. I it's, highly it's recommend incredible. it. It's probably one of the best movies of the 80s. I highly recommend it. And uh, but th- so my first party was called Risky Business because I had borrowed my roommate's bike without permission. This brand new, beautiful road bike, like just a, an immaculate, beautiful bike. I rode it to work, and it got stolen. <laughs> Damn! Where were you working? I was. Where were you working? I was working at. This would have been the first year that Music Trader opened. I was working at Music Trader, so it's, it's like right in front of, like right out of Osborne Village. Yeah. The bike was stolen. Out, Very reckless place to put a right bike. Right out yeah. of front. Right out front of Music Trader. And so I threw a party um, called Risky Business, you know, where I had to, to raise the, the money <laughs> and to buy the bike. Re- yeah, that's so good. To rebuild, to rebuy the bike before, uh, before. Um, You're a smart man, Tyler. You're very smart. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my guest DJ was DJ Brace. That's when back when Brace still Ooh. lived in town. And legend. Yeah, legend. legendary. I saw him at the uh, Scratcher team. at the Vapor Mill like two years ago. And watching him cut and Neil like cut was just like yeah he's, he's it on was, a whole other it was fucking incredible man yeah yeah he's yeah. on a whole other level brace so that was the first party I threw at the pyramid and then from there I met this guy did you buy the bike back I bought the bike back we made was just Dave a, McKeegan wearing sweatpants he was wearing sweatpants sitting, <laughs> sitting at the front door so Dave McKeegan Dave McKeegan's in sweatpants. Standing at the front door, saying, risky, Let it risky business. Roll. You, you so and co-op, co-op. co-op and I started throwing parties together in 2001, 2002, and shortly after, I think maybe even by 2003, we had decided to sort of um, revive the funk boat, the the river boat parties that like DJ Bunny and his homies and Coca Chips, who who had started who had started the uh, funk boat series. Uh, we started, to, which I played the first. I played the first few Coke, uh, Coke and Chips funk boat parties, and then we decided to re- revive that brand. And uh, Co-op and I started doing funk boat parties every every summer on the River Rouge along the legendary river. parties in Winnipeg. Yeah. Do you have a standout funk boat story? One that is your go-to funk boat. Do you have you ever been have you ever been on the river the river rouge? I've never been. Shut up. I've never been. Really? Never been? I've never been. It's incredible. It's Bugs dope. Bugs did a CD release party on it one so time. So the River Rouge if um had two two levels, two levels yep. of and the and the stage slash DJ was sort of in between the two of them. So you yeah, would, it was, so it was you could look up and you would see people s- surrounding the the railing looking down on you and then if you were to look below you would see everybody on the dance floor everybody's below, heads looking got calves looking, and heads looking up at you <laughs> and when the party was really popping off like you were just surrounded on all four sides head up and down by people just wiling out 
And, you know, this is back when, like, you know, this was still in the era of vinyl, at least for the first few years we were play, uh, playing vinyl. Um, because we played this, we did this party from maybe 2002 or 2003 until maybe 2013 when, when the guy, the, the sketchy Greek dude that owned the boat tried to just... Uh, Sketchiest. So sketchy. So fucking sketchy. <laughs> he tried, he'd be just, the price just kept, was just so ambiguous yeah. every time, you know. It was it, just, Bubs did two parties on there and he was like, why is it cheaper the second time? <laughs> but, you know, so, He's so got I mean, a big he needs to pay. But, you know, we would, we would do these, we would be, you know, we would be going to sound exchange and just digging for like, this was the, the, this to me was the salad days of DJing these, these parties with co-op and, and, and uh, the funk boat parties and things like that. And I'll tell you why. It was because people trusted us. And this is what, this is, we would play hip hop and we would play funk. We would play the breaks. We would play, you know, we'd play the breaks. We would play the, the, the hip hop song that sampled it. We would, we would just do all this. We would play nice. all this stuff. And people didn't request anything. People didn't request anything. People just trust, they'd, we would take them on a journey and they would just, they would just hang on and just trust us. DJ's perfect crowd. This was the golden age. This was the salad days of DJing as far as I was concerned because we would just, people said there would be songs that we would play that people would only hear when we would play them. You know what I mean? Like this was like if you wanted to dance to that song, you would have to come to a co-op and honeycut party. And that's why this was like the best, the the real sweet spot, those, those five, six years where we were just killing it at the pyramid and doing these funk boats every year. And, and, um, and then like, we never did weekly parties. Like we never t- took a residency because every party we did was different. Every party was named different. Every party was an event. So it was like, if you didn't come to this one, there's not going to be another one of those. It's not like you would go, oh, you know, next week, we'll just go next week, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, I mean, this this was like, I guess it was the, the precursor to like the grip and grain parties, but like, but it was all genre. It was all like, you know, and we could get way outside. We would play rock. We would play funk. We would play hip-hop we would play it all and people would just eat it up people would just ride with us people would just come with us on this journey of whatever the fuck we wanted to play it was really nice. you guys were known though for that like i i can recall i don't i'm not gonna try to name the parties but um i can remember seeing you guys at the pyramid and being there with a lady that i was trying to impress and mm-hmm. she was like oh my god you are so like into the scene <laughs> taking me it. here do you know what i mean like it was I, I i've had that i've had times at you and tim's parties that are like memories forever and ever and ever and ever like it was just a vibe and like you said there was no like you said it was a, it was the day people just trusted you guys and when you came to that party didn't matter if you showed up early you showed up late you had like the greatest time of no, life we would just play we would just play whatever we wanted and we knew what was going to work. We knew what was, and and there were songs that we would play, that I know that people were only hearing when we when when they were at one of our parties, which was pretty cool to think about. Um, and then, uh, and what was really fun for us was like, how are we in a you know the promo that we would do for each party? Like we would like make you know this again was before Instagram and before, so we would just make. We were making like we would make like websites for 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 um for parties. You know what Geo I mean? Geo cities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like djcoop.edu/backslash u u of m. Like I don't know, it's just like whatever. <laughs> it's just like wacky ass 
websites and you know we you know youtube was just out so we were like making youtube videos of us just i don't know it was we were we were we were having fun with with the the promo angle of things trying to be weirder and that was why that was where co-op and i our kinship came from was that he was a weirdo like me and he was a music fan like me and so, you know, the the weirdos again find each are finding each other and, 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 and working together. I think that's that's sort of like the theme of of my life is is seeking out the other weirdos and and, and, and building each other up. In terms of seeking out weirdos and building something, uh, you end up becoming a venue owner of yourself down the road. Yeah, yeah. We opened up the Union Sound Hall in two thousand and thirteen. Mm-hmm. And um Shout out to those weird uh, posts in the middle of the uh... <laughs> the weirdest posts, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the worst sight lines of any. <laughs> you know, great room. Yeah, yeah. such a good posts. room, though. Such a good room. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we had some amazing shows there. Like I was, I mean, as great as the parties were, like the the the, the you know um, Lonnie and and uh, Fraser and Tim moved the grip and grain parties there from back from the from the smaller rooms and. Um, we had like you know the Friday nights, and we would do our '90s and Onlyos and nothing but '90s parties there. But the stuff I'm the most proud of is the the live shows that we did there, like um, you know Danny Brown and. Uh, you guys also did the nonfiction show. Yeah. Which for like a mad hip hop head for me, and, I was uh, like, oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Yeah, and who else did we have there? Cameron was a good one. Yeah, and yeah, then, Cameron was Cameron fire was there. Yeah. I remember like good up there big, was a lot of fun. I remember bribing big the uh, the the door guy at the Cameron show. <laughs> <laughs> Honeycutt was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just went to the door guy just, and I was like, how much is the ticket? <laughs> and of course, um, um, uh, uh. Uh, from Run the Jewels, we had. Uh, uh, why am I blanking? LP. No, no. no. Killer Mike. Killer Kill Mike. Mike, Mike Bigger. Mike Bigger. <laughs> Whoa, we we talked about that last time. Possibly the worst name change. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't last time. Yeah. Yeah. Killer Mike show was really good. And you know. Was that for Jazz Fest? It was for Jazz Fest, which I also worked for at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I remember funny, funny Honeycut story. I remember walking up to the pyramid. I was actually just walking by the pyramid on my way somewhere else. And I was with who is the mother of my child now. And it was like early into our relationship. And I walked up to the pyramid. It was banging. Like it was so, I was like, what's going on here? And I saw him, uh, I saw Honeycutt outside and he goes, how many are you with? And I was like, I didn't even like, I didn't even, <laughs> I'm not even here for this. And he's like, yeah, Pete Rock and Pete Rock. I think it was Pete Rock was DJing. Oh, yeah. And it was yeah. so insane. And I was, I was like, I don't know. I was like, anyway, me and yeah. these, me and these three girls. And he's like. All right, let him in. He gives him like the wave, and I was like, <laughs> I remember yeah. Cordy at the time was like, were we even trying to go there? I was like, no, we were trying I to just go to that house. That you should, you should, you should probably room. be in this room right now. Yeah. yeah, yo, I left before Pete Rock stopped DJing. He was still going. Dude, like, he was going. That was, I was like, I gotta work in the morning, Pete. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah my test fest tenure was pretty nice. I was able to bring some nice axling, like the Roots we brought in twice. Ooh, and, uh, roots at the one the of roots. my favorite shows. Of, thank at, you. Uh, Can I just say yeah, thank, thank you for that? Thank you Centennial. Was that Centennial? Was one shake your hand? There was one at the Pantages, one at the Concert Hall, one at the Concert Hall. Yeah, right across. And then of course, Quest Love did dance parties after both those. Yeah. The Quest Love at the Pyramid was insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was I was lucky to be able to work, get that gig and 
work with that kind of money that wasn't my money. <laughs> that, <laughs> do you think of like that trust that the crowd gave to you or like I the city gave to you was like a kind of like that's why Jazz Fest was like, hey, like I think so. If we're I, gonna run something like this, we want him to be. I think so. I man. think uh, because I mean, I my my major in I'm, I don't have a precom or marketing. You know, my marketing skills all come organically. They all come from just me figuring shit out, throwing parties. But then I was the marketing coordinator of a, you know, half a million dollar festival every year because of that, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and now I, and then I ran one venue for a few years and now I run another venue that's just celebrated its fourth year. Two of the best venues in the city. I'm going to say it if you're not. I'm going to say it if you're not. Yeah, and I'm, you know, like, um, like, like I'm proud of... Goodwill is the spot. I'm proud the, of the Goodwill, the and I'm proud yeah. of what, I'm proud of what we did at, at Union, but, like, it became a nightclub, and it wasn't from me, so, when, like, the nightclub, I wanted more than a nightclub, I wanted a live music venue, and mm-hmm. when, when basically the, our neighbors forced our hands to become a nightclub at Union Town Hall, I knew that this was not what I wanted, so when Goodwill came along, I was, I was pleased to open up a proper live music venue and we've been open for four years now and I'm very proud of the stuff we, we do there. And, uh, and, and y'all are a big part of that. When is the Star Trek pinball machine being turned on? <laughs> well, we have a week, a week from today we have a, we have the pinball tournament. So everything's going to be running, oh, running smooth by then. I guarantee. So my boy was mad hype. We went there like a week ago and he was like, yo, what's that Star Trek pinball? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you you can tell him that that Honeycutt says a week from says the twenty ninth is going to be up and running. If it's not, I owe him free pinball for a month. <laughs> Done. If it's not, if it's not working up the snuff. Here. River is an avid podcast listener. So <laughs> River, River, this is this is this is uh, this Uncle is, Honeycutt speaking. Yeah. <laughs> Mark my words, if that if that machine ain't working by uh, this time next week, by the if it, it working by the end of November, the month of December pinballs on me. Fair, he's going to appreciate the fair. hell out yeah. of that. Skip everything else from this podcast and display them those <laughs> just, thirty just seconds. Like that. <laughs> No, that's the name of the uh, the podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> free pinball. I, yeah, free I free love the Goodwill for that because I've been to like the wildest hip hop shows there. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the best like last four years, like some of the best times that I've had as as a nightlife, quote unquote. And then I go there at like four thirty after picking River up from daycare and play pinball till you know eight o'clock. Yeah, and and, and that's something that's like important and, to me. I don't yeah. know. Cool and that he gets to experience that with me. Mm-hmm. And the ethos sort of carries over from from when I first started music, which is like, you know, I tell everybody that that um, everybody that wants to do a, do an event at the Goodwill, I tell them that we're just a, a blank canvas, and that you know you can come and if you have a weird idea, you know, let us make that idea a reality for you. You know, just come here, make it your own, make it, and if the weirder the idea, the the better, as far as I'm concerned. So again. It, it's all part of that ethos that, that, that sort of formulated when I was a teenager, which is the weirdos are just, they, they sort of find each other and support each other and be, be weird together. Goodwill will always hold a special place in my heart just because of all the great shows we played as 3 feet. Yeah. And like to pack that venue for, for the release party and have it so full 
fuller than I'd ever seen it at like a show I'd attended. Yeah, I was also, like also eggs. Alverstone yeah eggs Alverstone like, like there's a lot of very special moments that exist in that room for me like we played Alverstone I think it was in February we put it out in March or in November mm-hmm. and there was a Singing moment that we lyrics. talked about with Egg where like I did a drop and then the crowd sung the lyric back to us the whole crowd and me and Egg just looked at each other like what the fuck Goodwill is riding with us tonight like we have carte blanche tonight it felt great man so that's nice to know those well, it's it's it's, it's like us. center of the city, but a little up Portage. So it's always the way that like I love venues that are like easily accessible. Yeah, and Goodwill has that, and that was always why the Pyramid, to me, and always will be, even with D- Dave McKeegan sweatpants. It's like <laughs> that central venue that like and and the Pyramid was dope as fuck. Like it's a big ass room. It's you yeah. know it's just just you know like I mean it's it is what it is, but I mean. The reason why we loved it for as, and used it for as long as we did is because it was, and the same with the Jazz Fest, the reason why the Jazz Fest used it as long as it did was because it's a, it was a, it was a chameleon. Like it could be a mm-hmm. rap venue that one day and the metal show the next day. And, yeah. and that's kind of like what the Goodwill likes to think of itself as is just sort of this blank slate that can be one thing one to one person and something completely different to someone else. Mm-hmm. And I think that a strong thing that you guys have and what sets you apart from a lot of venues is that you have a crowd that trusts you and your programming. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're going to come and hang out at the Goodwill because they believe what you're doing is, is something special. You know what I mean? They'll roll the dice on a night because of what you guys have been programming. And I think that's a testament to what you guys have been booking there. That's nice of you to say. No, it's easily one of the... Like, you're totally right when you say it's chameleon because... I'll be over there, grab, like, even in the beginning when it was, like, Little Pizza Heaven, I'd go there, grab a slice, and be like, oh, what's going on over there? Yeah. I and take it, business, it, You take business meetings there. You know, you have exactly. a coffee meeting. You'll have and all And I might stay things. there and start drinking beer until the live show starts. <laughs> yeah. And Uncle Ness will show up. We start singing karaoke. We got a night here. <laughs> we just did that last Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, I dropped in on you guys there, yeah, for a bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I just, I just wanted to thank you. Yeah, and I think it's good. I think it's cool to, to paint that picture. I think we really have only scratched the surface with your contribution to the Winnipeg hip-hop scene. We, we didn't even get into, like, Born in the Break and, like, some of those things that you've started in the city. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hosted that show. For <laughs> we might have to have uh, DJ Honeycutt Part 2. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Come, come through with the wife, and you guys can tell stories together. I wanted to ask you that quickly. Uh, me and Tony were kind of, and, and Clem were kind of having a back and forth in the, in the group chat here. But, like, your wife throws the best kids like <laughs> yeah. I, I went, bring my kids still dude I went there one time and I drove so I was like okay I'm gonna be the sober one mm-hmm. and to the uh, kids to yeah, the kids, to court, the kids <laughs> well no no but it's at the Goodwill it's yeah. at, it was at no, the no, Goodwill that's what it's for it's for <laughs> parents to cut loose and let yeah. the kids and, spin around and fall over and yeah. we had we had uh, you know I had drove so she's like hey you, you drive home and I was like okay deal and she had like the best time. She was drinking mimosas. There was like a candy bar. It was like this crazy yeah. good time. And the second one, she was like, "Hey, we're going." And I was like, "Hey, you're driving." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the 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 music was at like a good volume. It was just like, how is being part in a partnership with a D, like a fellow awesome DJ? Well, we actually don't. We don't actually. My wife is Mama Cutsworth, and uh, we actually don't perform together that much sometimes we get booked together but mm. we don't um produce events together is that on purpose 
you know, it kind of started on purpose and it just sort of became that because, um, you know, I was, I'd been DJing and was well established when she started DJing in the, in the mid two thousands or whatever. And we never wanted it to appear as though that like, you know, and people still, still see it as, as me, like, Oh, you know, you taught your wife how to DJ. And, you know, I was, we were always very conscious and always very like, uh, aware of that, that we didn't want it to appear as though I sort of like put her on and that like everything that she's achieved is she achieved because she did it herself. And we never wanted it to come across as like that. I put, that I put her on that she, that, that I somehow like taught her, taught her because I didn't teach her. I didn't teach her anything. She taught, she she learned how to DJ herself, and she continues know, to teach others. Now. now she teaches. Now she's got over a hundred alumni in the city of that that she's taught. You know, but I mean, mm-hmm. so that just sort of was how we started. Where it was like we're not going to like, you know, put throw parties together, or she's not going to open for Tim and I at one of our parties or whatever. Because we just wanted never wanted it to come across like she was just Honeycutt's girlfriend who was a DJ because of she was d- dating a DJ. She's dope. Yeah, Dope. and so we always tried mm-hmm. to have that separation, and that separation just kind of continues. Now she throws parties at my venue, but I think that's a bit different because she has a a, a name and a brand with her, her and House of Gold Diamonds. She has a brand all of her own. So I mean, you know, as far as, far as you know, she she gigs way more than I do now, and she's mm-hmm. she's she's makes a living full time as a DJ. You know, like that's her mm-hmm. that's her living and has been for nine years. She's made her living full time as Boom. a DJ, you know, so name, name someone else in this Salute city, to that. Yeah, you know, exactly. That makes a living full time as a DJ. She's very, not for nine few. years. Yeah. Not for nine years. And she does it, she does it without compromise. You know, it's like, you know, like co-op and I, we took, we took weekly gigs, even though we never said we would, we, we started doing weeklies at hi-fi and at the, at the green room and stuff like that. But I mean, she never, ever did. She just throws these parties that are her own and has for nine nine plus years you know never compromise so as uh as feta walks out on us <laughs> <laughs> i think we're gonna wrap it up here and i just wanted to say thanks for stopping by spending some time with us yeah, thank you I think so it's much. Just sticking so, it through the false start i just think it's so nice that y'all asked me to do this i don't know why anybody who wants to ever listen to me talk so i just think it's nice <laughs> that you thought to ask me yeah man i want to hang out with you for an hour or two and hear you tell the story because yeah, i think that's an important story to the city and I think it'll be evident once people get to listen and, and realize what you guys have been uh, able to accomplish yourself and with peanuts and corn and all of that stuff and realize that like it's, it, it is all of these things. You know what I mean? Like it is all these touch points from Jazz Fest to, you know what I mean? All those different aspects is how you were able to get to where you're at now. And I think that, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's a salute. And it's a, it's a dope story of like, if you're a weirdo, be a weirdo embrace that hang out with other weirdos do weird shit and you can actually make a living out of it Yo, i hope someone's <laughs> writing a screen screenplay about this right now <laughs> the john hughes story yeah, yeah, yeah where yeah. the weirdos meet that's what it's called that's what the movie's called yeah. yeah not to be too corny but i mean yeah i mean being yourself is what it's ultimately gonna yeah you know you're gonna connect even if you just connect with one person that person is gonna be you know it's a gonna, genuine connection it's gonna be a fan for life you know because you're 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 you're, you're uh being yourself and they're connecting with that and uh shit i don't know why i even got on this but damn message <laughs> message but Getting it's true tough. you know embrace your inner weirdness ain't nothing wrong with it yeah. nothing thank you very much uh you can definitely I had to pee where can we find you on the internets <laughs> dj 
underscore H-U-N-N-I-C-U-T-T. Perfect. On all the socials. And if you catch them there on like a Wednesday, you might find them watching basketball, getting ready to do some karaoke down at the Goodwill. (laughs) At the Goodwill, yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much for stopping by. It's the Now You Know Podcast. Now You Know Podcast. Catch us wherever you find your podcast. We out.